Howdy folks, welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John and Melson IV. On today's episode, I'm talking with Bob Venom of the band called The Bell Rays. Let me explain The Bell Rays to you. Alright, if you're not familiar with them, imagine Aretha Franklin fronting for the Stooges if Iggy Pop was too dope sick to play. I mean, amazing vocals from Lisa Kay, as I call her, and also fantastic guitar work and bass work by Bob Venom. Depends on the album. On this episode, I was supposed to talk with Lisa, but there was some personal issues, so I couldn't talk with her, but I got to talk with Bob as well because I wanted to interview both of them. So we just kind of shot the shit with a lot of things and just um, really talk a bit about um, how we got into punk rock, um, how the first Bell Rays albums were recorded, just kind of geeked out about a lot of gear stuff. Also, the Bell Rays being on tour with the Damned and how that went. Of course, on this episode, we're taking a street level, so if you're fan about language, okay. So, how's it looking in California? Uh, it's really, it's nice right now. The weather's the weather's perfect. It's like 75, 77 degrees or something today. The sun came out. And it was, it's nice. We're, we're enjoying it right now. Sweet. Yeah. All right. So, like, so how'd you get into punk rock? Oh, how'd I get into punk rock? Um, I started... Uh, my first original band that I, I was playing bass uh, was a band called The Dangers, and uh, it was started by a guy named Chris Leroy and John Hickman from Cracker. Um, they had a uh, Chris had started a nightclub in north in the, the north part of San Bernardino Highland, and we practiced there. We started doing shows there, and that was where I met Tony for the first time but like the first punk bands that i got to see were all in there it was uh, 45 grave and test pattern and white flag and you know all those bands tony's band the reactors um you know that that was where i got introduced to it there was was there you know and i think i will probably the very first time you know you, you hear it on tv and i used to listen to the dr demento radio show um, and they would play the tough darts and Devo and stuff. You know, it was a it was kind of joke music to them, but you know, it, it was it was straight up punk rock. I always find it fascinating how Devo really got started because of the Kent State shooting. Yeah, yeah, they were. It was real. Listen to the listening to those guys talk about stuff because because Doctor Demento had them on the I had them on the uh, his show. You know, this is like 1978 or something, 77, something like that. And, um, you know, to hear them talk about it, it, it was it was not a light subject. They weren't, it wasn't funny to them, no. you know, the no. whole de-evolution thing and, and all that stuff. And right, It was really fascinating to listen to those guys talk, you know. Completely. I remember, like, um, one of the biggest influences are Frank Zappa, right? And I remember when they met him, was something Frank said, like, um... Frank Zappa said on the lines of, did you guys get started in a garage? They said, yeah, yeah, I think you should go back or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Dr. Demento, it was funny because I think he was actually stationed out in, D- in uh, 991 HFS out here in, in D.C. area. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was, he was uh, what was it, K, uh, KMET out here, 90, 94.7. Yeah. I remember, I remember hearing stories about like how they tried to play Frank Zappa's titties and beers, but they had to damn near edit the whole thing out. <laughs> Yeah, well, they they would do uh, they would play stuff like that out here. I mean, I, I remember hearing, you know, all of that stuff on uh, on 
on that at the FM station. So KMET was was the thing where you heard, you know, at least where I heard, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that you know nobody played on on the radio. It was FM was it wasn't new, but it was it was still expanding. You know, it was still it was still doing crazy stuff. Yeah, because that was like that's where like you had stereo sound and everything, because it was pretty much AM until we're like, wait, we can. Even if we play music on the FM dial, it sounds a lot better like that. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, hey. it wouldn't fade out as you went under under passes or tunnels and Correct. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Shoot. I guess the station close enough to it out here was, was uh, 91.1 WHFS, and that was really our station. Then it turned to this, um, like, Latin pop station. And, like, it just popped up out of nowhere. Like, literally, I think it was some Linkin Park song, right? And I guess uh-huh. they, I guess it was talk about, like, hey, we're going to sign off the air and everything. And I didn't know, right? So the next thing you know, it's like uh, 91, 90.1 WZool. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know? That, it, the, the exact same thing happened on, on KMT because it was uh, one morning I just woke up and I went to turn it on and it was playing, uh, it was playing uh, like jazz, uh, not like modern jazz stuff, like, you know, Dream of the Blue Turtles, Sting type jazz still, uh, yeah. it was that kind of it was it was that kind of stuff and so i i like was like what's going on and flipped over to the next the other the k uh klos station and they had all the djs from kmet on klos talking about how they walked into work and real and were told that they didn't have a job anymore it was like the same thing it was just instantly gone yeah 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 that's how, yeah, how the business crazy. goes yeah, shoot. All right, so the Bell Rays grew out of another out of another band, right? Yeah, yeah. Lisa and I had a a band called the Rose Thorns um, that we had been playing for a year or two uh, before that. All right, so what did it sound like? You know, like what are the influences there? Like uh, the, the what did the Rose Thorns? Sound yeah, like? Rose Thorns. Yeah. It it was like a, a bluesier pop kind of folksier pop more the the songs uh that i had started writing were more i want to say creedence clearwater kind of stuff uh more chordy uh pop stuff bluesier you know um it wasn't it, did, it didn't have uh the the you know the chunky punk chord action going on at the time even though i was there was stuff because I that you know I had I had met Tony, and we had been doing stuff, and I had played bass for his band, and um, I had there was there was a lot of stuff that Tony's band was doing that I wanted to do. I wanted to emulate that, you know. So I was always trying to get to that somehow, but it 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 was more uh, of a pop thing to begin with. That's fair. When you say Tony, you mean Tony Fate, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, just want to make sure, like, listeners were clear. Oh, yeah. All right, so, all right, so, because I remember, like, listening to early Bell Ray's music, like, the first album, like, that's, you know, that's, um, that's on Apple Music, like, uh, that would be In the Light of the Sun. It sounds way different than later on. Yeah. So how did it jump from In the Light of the Sun to, you know, Red, White, and Black? Like, how did this happen? Um. It was, like I said, those were the kinds of songs that I was writing at the time. And then the bass player that we had in the Bell Rays at the, or the, the Bell Rays at the time, 
uh, Phil Phillips, he he wrote along those those lines too. He was a he was a pop songwriter, and um, you know that's just what we were doing at the time. But like I said, there was Tony had a band at, at the time. Um, he had the Sins, and then later he had the Gray Spikes, and the songs that he was writing. I mean, there was a real there was a real, it was really magnetic, the way he wrote songs, I really liked the way he wrote songs, and I would try to emulate it, and try to do it, and we had songs that we would play um, back then, that were along those lines, but you kind of have, you have to have the attitude to be able to play those tunes um, that way, you know, to, to, to get it right, and we didn't, that, that lineup didn't have that attitude, you know, it, it, it just wasn't, it didn't think that way. So we sort of just played to our strengths with when that lineup, but when that lineup exploded, you know, when, when it just kind of went its way and we flipped it and I went to bass and Tony took over guitar, then it was like, okay, now we can do this and we can start from the other end and work backwards, you know, it's, that's what we were trying to do when when we did that because we we were trying to get uh, an energy you know we we had we were trying to really push things and you know there were a lot of those old songs that, that Tony liked to play that you know we sort of, we we brought in and incorporated or tweaked so that we could play them in this band too but that's you know it it it's weird finding the band's resonant frequency. You know, you, you, it's something that you really kind of have to be looking for, you know. So when, when, uh, when the, I think the turning point was uh, Tony's, Tony's band had kind of dissolved and, and, but he had a, a, a um, he had a, a, a comp that somebody had asked the, the Gray Spikes to be on, uh, to, uh, the Saints cover that he was going to play. And he asked if we could, do it and um well he 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 brought it up and then we just said well look you know lisa will sing it i'll play bass you know ray can play drums and and we'll just do it and call it the gray spikes or whatever and we played it and like the second time we played it it was like oh man this just sounds really good let's do this from now on you know let's let's just keep this line up now we don't have to look for a bass player you don't have to look for a drummer and a bass or you know and, and a singer and we have it all down you know, so premise fell into place, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, it just you know we were both bands were around. We shared a practice room, you know, and like I said, I would I would fill in on bass when when Tony's band needed it. He would fill in on bass when I needed it. There was a short little time just before all this happened that Tony was playing guitar with us, um, you know. So it it just that day when we went to go do that song, it was just like okay, everybody. Everybody now sees what this can sound like, you know. Okay. So, what did you start? What what instrument? Hold on. What instrument did you pick up first, guitar or bass? Guitar. I I started taking guitar lessons when I was thirteen, and but my all of my favorite my favorite stuff was was the Beatles, and and the Who, and and you know listening to Paul McCartney's bass. To me, that's what drove. All of that, all of the, the the Beatles, late, you know, the the late stuff was all about the bass. So it really did. I just, 
yeah, you know, it, it, it really was all about that. So I just I, I went bought a bass and started doing that. And then uh, somebody in high school needed a bass player for their for their little cover band, and I started doing that. And then another cover band, and after that is when I found the Dangers. Hmm. All right, so. All right, since you're all right, being a guitar player first, you know, because all right, I tend to play bass a little bit too myself, you know. Mm -hmm. So, what's your approach for playing bass, though? Um, basically, I don't want to say like controlling everything, but the the bass is really it's the seed of power, you know. I mean, the the argument, you know, your band is only as good as your drummer kind of holds true but you know if if your bass player isn't really doing anything the music really lags there's not it doesn't have an urgency to it you know it's it's um i don't know just a just a bass player who's in tune with what's going on and isn't afraid of of uh you know making his presence felt uh you know all of a sudden just makes that band stand out a, a lot more in my in, in my opinion and and at the time we had a drummer you know we had Ray who was he was basically a jazz guy he all he'd ever played up to that point was was jazz drums he'd never been in a rock band or anything so he just had all this flashy hand stuff that he could do he wasn't really about backbeat or anything like that so you know I could hold it down and still you know, and still play with him, you know, and it just gave Tony just a big platform to, to, to play on the one that like I really had never had when I was doing, uh, when I was the guitar player in the bell rays, it was kind of like, I was always looking for that, that bass thing to go off and sort of pull me, you know, that I could drag a draft on, you know? Okay. Wait, which albums is, was the drummer playing on the one you mentioned, which albums was he playing on? Ray, yeah, Ray. Ray played. Ray played on "In the Light of the Sun." Well, oh, he's he played on "In the Light of the Sun" and uh, uh, the first the first few um, all the way up until. Uh, well, no, he he plays on the first couple, the uh, "Let It Blast" and "Grand Fury." Those those are the two that Ray did all the way through, and then all of the comps and and seven inches and. And he's playing on uh, the Rock Collection records too, because he played on all those seven inches and stuff. Okay, okay, good. That was right. Ray Chin, yeah. Oh, okay, now it makes sense now, because I was like, when I first heard, I was like, this guy has a very strong jazz influence. Yeah. So now it yeah. makes sense. Okay, now it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. The very first guy that we had in the Bellers, the original Bellers drummer, Brad Vaughn, is he's a he's he's a great drummer, but he's one of those guys that. When I when he first started playing, he was one of those guys. He, he's rock steady. He was like a Stuart Copeland. He's also a, a Zappa head. He loves Zappa, and he can he can play all of all of the weird off time things and stuff. But he wasn't he wasn't a very free guy. He wanted to uh, he wanted everything to fit, you know. And yeah. so it was so it wasn't a very wild experience. It it was rock solid, and and you know all the tempos were great and everything, and it, it just wasn't that wild thing that, you know, that we were trying to get to. And Ray had, Ray was nothing but wild, you know? <laughs> yes. I noticed that. I'm like, I noticed, I was like, okay, so it's kind of a jazz influence there too. Cause I was like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. 
he, he had a jazz influence and he had a he had an outlook on it that you know uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't safe music he didn't want to live safely either and that's that's the other thing that that really fed into that Ray was he had something to say on the drums you know yeah there's one thing I just had a quick flashback to my first drummer Kelvin actually Imagine like a young Afro Puerto Rican Keith uh, Keith Moon. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to describe him. Actually, except he's like six foot four with a pocket knife. <laughs> that's basically what to describe him. He's calmed the fuck down now. Actually, wow, god yeah. damn. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 those times when you say, "No, Rick, just play a backbeat." Like you know, it's sometimes his his kick drum would be you know, a pair of tennis shoes in the dryer kind of sound. And it, you know, it was, it was hard to, to get him to just calm down to that sort of thing. But, you know, it, it it's, everybody has their things that they can't get to, you know. Agreed and, entirely. And, yeah. You know, and that was, if, if that's all Ray couldn't get to, then we're, we were fine. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. All right. So, all right. Speaking of early albums, there's one album that is already so apparently you found the tapes for it though because I, I asked about it in the group chat but the bell rays 1990 is that an, is that available like is there... it's not out um, I think I have like a couple of cassette copies left but it, it was a it was out on cassette and it was it, it's the original bell rays lineup it's it's Brad Vaughn and, and Phil Phillips and me and Lisa and a keyboard player named Jim Jim Kerwin, um, and it's so it's it's not out. Um, we do have the tapes. I you know whether it ever gets released or anything. It's it's not the greatest sounding thing. There's there's some good stuff on it, but you know we'll we we'd have to we'll have to see if we ever get around to remixing that and and playing around with it. Yeah, it happens, you know. Mm-hmm. I've been curious what I wonder what that sounds like though. I'm curious though. Like it's 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 a lot like in the light of the sun. It's it's the same kind of songs, um, you know. But it's it's not it's not Ray on drums and it's not uh, you know it it doesn't it has a lot uh, a lot less flavor I would say. Here and there, there's glimpses of stuff, but. Kind of like when uh, before death became death, there were Rockfire Funk Express, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's very roots, roots pop type of stuff. That's kind of like the California sound, though, right? Like when I think of California, I think of like Joni Mitchell, Joni Mitchell, Joan Baez, a lot of kind of folk stuff like that. Yeah, it's you know the 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 stuff we were listening to, I think at the time was probably like Smithereens and. Uh, you know the DBs and and bands like that. Um, those that's the the stuff I was listening to that was coming out that was new. Um, you know the Plimsolls and you know a lot, a lot of those new wave bands, the Cars and and stuff like that. It it you know we we were that's kind of the 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 thought that we were trying to cultivate. Understood. Speaking of which, being a band from California. Oh, you're from California, though, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. Something, you know, the Bell Rays and Kiss have something in common. The Bell Rays and, I'm sorry, what was that? And Kiss have something in common. What's that? Everything's off from Detroit. 
You ever notice that? Yeah, yeah. We we you know from early on we everybody we we've gotten that. Oh, you guys are from Detroit. You guys are from Detroit. It's like no, we're not from Detroit. We've never said we were from Detroit. We're there's I've you know at the time we started coming out we'd never been to Detroit. You know so I I don't know I don't know what it is other than uh you know I I mean all of the bands that I grew up listening to. Credence was from California, but they didn't sound like it. You know, they sounded like some Midwestern. They did. Uh, you know, blues band or or blues pop band or something. And but that's the music I listened to. You know, I listened to a lot of Chicago blues, a lot of Delta blues, and back east kind of things. I I wasn't listening the be to the Beach Boys and that kind of stuff. That that wasn't the music I I listened to. You know. Yeah, I can tell. So. Yeah, so it didn't it didn't sound like it to me, you know. All right, but it actually makes sense though because one of the things outside of like one of the strongest like you know one thing of Detroit music outside of Motown, I think of blues. Like I think got like John Lee Hooker, so mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense. So you know maybe it's kind of like similar green. It's kind of like um what kind of Mexican food, right? Or mm-hmm. how much you shit can get of a goddamn tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's almost like yeah. it's like it's like the same ingredients for like three different fucking foods. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But what always was what's intrigued me about, you know, albums like Let It Blast, Red, White and Red, White and Black and early albums like that. It was actually recorded in a rehearsal space, right? Right. Yeah. The yeah, they have those everything we did up until I think uh Have a Little Faith. Well even Have a Little Faith was recorded in our rehearsal space, but uh it was mixed and everything outside of that. And it had a different philosophy. All of the, the first three records were recorded live. Um, you know, there's some overdubs here and there, but it's, it's all us in the practice room at the same time doing it, you know, with, with Lisa's mic on and three background mics on. And like, you know, in the case of uh, Let It Blast, I think the room was like 15 by 15. Um, it had some carpet on the walls and the ceiling and, you know, seven or eight microphones and, <laughs> you know, it, it real bare bones stuff. And, and none of us knew how to record. We didn't know what we were doing. And, you know, there wasn't any science behind where to put the mics or anything like that. It was just, man, we got to capture all these practices that are just going by the wayside and all these versions of these songs that we're playing that are just fucking great, you know. And uh, that's all really we were looking to do is just make sure that those versions of those songs didn't get forgotten, you know, as much as possible. Smart move, because one thing with the bell race is the energy, right? Mm-hmm. And it makes sense when that was a cut live. It just makes sense, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you first. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, it just, it it really was our 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 Bible to do it that way at the time, you know, because it was, everything was so immediate, you know, when, when we were on, man, it, it just sounded, it was just great. We all loved it. We were having a great time. People listening to it had a great time. We just loved doing it that way, you know? Um, so yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to. That's what I was going to say, but it's kind of like, I what I was gonna say actually, I wish I wrote it down though. Well, we we there was we did stuff where 
you know, we, we bought that six-track recorder and we put it in the practice room. Um, to record, you know, we had this space. Why not record and do stuff with it? And then when it was like, okay, well, now we got some money saved up. We'll go into a studio and record. And every time we went into a studio to record, it was like, uh, this doesn't, this isn't, this isn't as good as that practice tape we made the other day, you know. It's, it really doesn't, you know. You know, so and it, and we realized that it's like, well, you know, it's it's not it's not the studio's fault or anything. It's just you go in with a different mindset, you know. Totally. We would, we would go in, we would go into our practice room and practice the set, you know. So we'd be we blow through a whole set, and just you know, and go, man. At the end of it, we're just, God, that was great, man. You know, we just left it all here on the floor. Nobody's ever going to hear what we just did, you know. So now let's just set up a, re a recording thing and record it as we go. You know, we'll just come in with, a, with 10 60-minute tapes and pop them in as we go, you know. So that's why we were doing it that way. And then later, and then later when it was Grand Fury, you know, we bought an 8-track recorder. And then, you know, then we bought a 16-track recorder and... <laughs> You know, but it was still all in the practice room. Similar to mine, except mine was way more low tech. Like, all right, what happened was the first rehearsal tapes from my band, Jenny's Techno. What happened was we got like a R05, right? And mm -hmm. it might sound oppressive, but it's literally like a little, like a two channel tape recorder and shit. So, uh -huh. and I got the idea from Metallic KO because the legend was that Iggy Pop recorded that album. He's put the thing on stage. Why did I say? Why did I say stage? You put it up on stage or anything, right? It's, it's like a uh -huh. weird southern accent that's popped out of nowhere, like stage. Where the fuck that come from? It came up on. He put it up on stage, right? And uh -huh. he said, "Here's your live album." <laughs> so I'm like, "Well, you know, it's good for it's good for Iggy." So let me just uh, because yeah, was, exactly. So the first setup I had was like, okay, so let me just put this. Um, okay, so the drums are gonna be recorded nonetheless because they're loud as shit. Um, uh -huh. let's see, this is like a like um we have like the um, the vocals are plugged into a keyboard keyboard amp um and also there's a bass there too it's also like my guitar amp so let's we'll put that in front of there and like it came out okay you know yeah yeah you know but yeah, like the the school the, the school of thought i've always just subscribed to is it's like you know it could be the best phonically sounding thing on earth but if the performance isn't very good who wants to listen to it you know it's not I, I was I was always into the performance first, you know. All all the Who records are are great. Live at Leeds is is my bible, you know, because it's just it's just this performance that is just from, you know, who knows where it it, it comes from, but it's all recorded on on the thing. So um, uh, that's uh, I'm just so happy we we were able to do it that way at that time. After after a while. You know, like uh, when when we started doing Have a Little Faith, I started to get tired of okay, you know, we don't have to do it live, and you know, we we can do other things now. You know, we have these other songs that can broaden out a little bit. You know, we can do some other stuff with it. It's the Beatles '65 is great, but if you can't do Rubber Soul after it, you know, I don't I don't see the point. <laughs> I feel you. You know, I just had a quick flashback. Because when you mentioned live, now I was going to say, because one of my buds actually was actually at, was actually checking y'all out in Canada. It was in 06, you know? And uh, you literally blew their fucking mind, you know? He took a, I'm sorry, they took a before after photo, right? I said, here's before. Uh, and the after photos was like, they just had this look of like, holy shit. 
you know <laughs> and i always felt for certain bands you had to capture it live to get the holy shit feel mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah and it's i i like that methodology and there were songs you know that we've done live to things out you know just live to tape afterwards because it's a great way to do it if the band knows the songs and you know the the advantage we had going into those early recordings was when when we started out going out to play live i mean we already had like two sets worth of material and so we recorded half of that the first time and then by the time we got to do the next record we were you know the stuff we were playing live was the new stuff and all the stuff that we've been playing for three years was the stuff that we recorded you know because we we all had it ingrained we've been playing it for so long already that we could just go in and and blast it out you know and and do different versions of the songs because we knew the songs so well later on you know we started to catch up to ourselves we had recorded everything that we knew how to play and then we started writing songs that we had to record so you know you don't know them quite as well so you you kind of have to study them a little bit and and you know what i mean you don't you can't just blast them out like like we were used to doing uh, you have but, to kind of learn them still yeah you have to learn them still but then what that does is if you're learning them when in the mindset of okay well we we're going to put out a record you can kind of look at them differently and do different things with them and and think about them uh, a little more which is what you know I wanted us to be able to do at a at a certain point, you know, around when when we did have a little faith, you know, let's just let's take some time and just make everything sound really good, you know, and and think about what we want to do with these songs, you know. I noticed that with have a little faith, there was a jump between red, white, and black, and have a little faith. Like mm-hmm. it sounded, you know, it's not that it wasn't more thought out. It just sounded like. You know, it sounded like a mixture between like the energy of of the bell rays, but also more focused, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that and that was like a real conscious effort because when we were when we were going to do it, the first all of the recordings that we did before that, um, you know, when I when I met Tony back in 1980, um, he was like this, you know, this guy. Like I said, he, the songs he wrote. Um, he played guitar, you know, really cool. And he was just like a big, he was a real heavy influence on me. So I just sort of deferred to the things that he was doing when, before he was in the band, he was producing our, the records that the Bell Rays were doing and the Rose Thorns and stuff. And it was, uh, it was a thing where it was like, okay, Tony, you know, go into the control room and, you know, let's, you, you, you tell him what to do and whatever. When we got to, in, uh, have a little faith it was you know I said well Tony you know now I've been watching you and I, and I know these things that I want to get to I'm going to let's you know let me reproduce this record and see what I can do with it and by that time you know we had the studio we had uh, we were it was we were doing digital stuff and we were doing tape and then dumping it into the computer and you know we we, we I kind of had the recording like how to record I, I was decent at it now whereas you know before it was flying by the seat of the pants not really knowing anything you know and um 
that record, we had a friend of ours, uh, a guy named Paul Thomas, who's a, uh, he's the sound guy for uh, uh, Bottom of the Hill Club in, um, in San Francisco now, but um, at the time he had worked in recording studios and stuff, and he had moved out to California, and he had a mic cabinet, and he brought that down, and he said, you know, I'll help you, I'll help you set up the, you know, tune everything and, and tune the room and set up the mics and do all that stuff. So he came down and we ran through this whole process of getting good, like good solid sound out of everything, you know. And then we went and we played like we normally do. Uh, for the most part, there were a couple of tunes that we, you know, we did sort of piecemeal. We did them a, a piece of, you know, the drums and the bass at a time and then added the guitars and then put some keyboards and stuff like that you know yeah because i noticed the keyboard parts too it is from it really filled it out you know yeah it was just something that you know we we didn't we'd never done with before we we didn't know at the time we didn't really know any keyboard players and you know we didn't know really what to do with keyboards i had uh one idea and and it just so happened that where our studio is three or four shops down there was a cab shop but the guy was a musician and he had a studio built into the back of his cab shop and he had a, a and he was a keyboard player so he we we brought him in and he did all of the strings and stuff for for how little faith yeah and you know so he that was him um that that did that stuff and he, we just had him come down and play around with it for a while you know until we got something that we we thought sounded good Excel though sounded fucking dope, you know. Awesome. Actually, it's kind of funny. Like um, when my band was um, recording over Bias, right? The engineer mm -hmm. Mark, dude's cool as shit, by the way. And what happened was we mentioned we're big fans of Bad Brains, right? You know. Mm -hmm. And they asked, "You ever been called Bell Rays?" Like the bear shit was. Yes, we heard of them, you know. And they played Snot Gun because they were trying to get like a sound similar to that, <laughs> you know. And yeah. the reason why is because the common thread is because both our bands basically have like a this at least thing was really strong, soulful kind of voice. Uh -huh. You know? So it's kind of funny where like um you know how like they kind of brought it up, you know. Because that's like the first time I get the comparison. In fact, the craziest part about it is the first because I, I don't do the fanboy shit. You know, technically that's uh -huh. close I get to it. So I'm, I was on the guy that wrote like constant fan letters. I wasn't that guy, but it was like three people who wrote a fan letter too. With actually y'all, um, and oh man, what the hell's that guy's name again? I should know this. Eric Gales. Uh -huh. Only three. Man, technically Weasel Zappa too. Actually, you know, you know. So, so it's kind of funny where it's like it feels like it's almost like full circle, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's Tony was Tony was that way too because Tony had. He had all these guys that he had been writing to forever, for years, you know. Uh, um, uh, God, now his name just went right out of my head. Uh, Dead Kennedy's singer. Jello Biafra? Um, yeah, Jello. He he was like pen pals with Jello. He'd never met him, but like they 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 wrote back and forth all the time. Jello was a big Grace Bikes and Sins fan and stuff. And then when Tony joined us, you know, we he, he started liking us and following us. And so we actually put out you know, uh, we got to put out the, the the red, white, and black on on Jello's label. You know, so. Um, but the the pen pal thing was always something that you know I always gave Tony a lot of credit for because he he actually put a lot of time and, and effort into the people and, and places that he wanted to 
correspond with, you know. You know, it's funny thing about um, Jello Biafra and the lead singer uh, from B-52 Fresh Nighter. I thought they sounded identical. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do sound a lot. Like, they do always, sound a lot alike. Like the B-52 sound like an alternate version of like a, but a less subversive version of the Day Kennedys. Yeah, yeah, a, a less uh, earnest yeah, like um, <laughs> kind of like how like a, you know, dude from uh, New York Dolls was a uh, Buster Poindexter and shit. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, David Johansson. Yeah. I'm just saying, I never <laughs> seen, I've never seen Fresh Nighter and Jello be off in the same room at the same time. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. Probably a reason for it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, okay, in the, in the group chat, you mentioned a couple, maybe like a couple of months ago. Now, going to think about it, but there was this one song. You know that y'all did. You know on the second album that sounded that was uh, kind of familiar. That sounded a bit familiar um, with a uh, TLC's uh, Waterfalls, right? Uh huh. I, I'm trying to remember which one it was. It's uh, Footprints on Water. That was the one. Yeah. All right. You told an interesting story about how I think somebody from TLC's camp actually was at one of your shows, right? Um. No, there was a, a what we did that song. Tony wrote that song in 1990, 91 or 92, something like that. Because um, it, it's it's on the uh, it, it's on the, in light of the sun record, and I you know I remember playing it and doing all that you know. And then that then the TLC song came out, and I was like, wait a minute, you know, like because that that we had this was still at a point when we were you know, sending stuff to record labels and and doing stuff. We weren't touring, you know, the gigs all we were playing that we were playing were all local. Um, so but I I heard that song on the radio and I go, man, that sounds a lot like and the fact that it's that it's about water and you know what I mean? It it was it was really kind of uh unsettling. I know, right? Like, yeah. that is kind of weird. Like, um, my band is called Rosemary, right? Next to Deftones, so I was like, I'm like, that's a very specific shit right there. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Some people saw the video of that too. It's like, yeah, you never know. So, speaking of writing, what's your creative process when it comes to writing? Like, what do you usually do? Oh man, you know, it's 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 usually uh, I'm usually walking or doing something um and if and a, and a rhythm or a it's, it's usually like a rhythm or like a, a chord uh a chord change or something pops into my head and i'm hoping i'm close enough to a guitar or a bass or something to where i can play it and remember it you know and nowadays it's it's a little easier because i can just hum it into my phone you know at least a melody or whatever and if I'm not real close to a guitar, I can get to one soon enough. But, you know, back then, you know, when I first started writing songs, it was like, shit, you know, if I was out somewhere and I didn't have a guitar, oh, you know, I hope I can hold on to this and, and, and remember it. But it would, it would start off like that. It would start off with a rhythm or a lot, some kind of uh, line, bass line or something. And uh, when I got to a guitar, I would just sit down and start, trying to trying to get it to where I could sing over the top of it, you know, create get get the melody going. Um and just piece it together, you know, like that. It, but it's it almost always starts off with a rhythm, some kind of rhythm thing. It's it's 
once or twice it's been like I, I came up with a, a top line, you know, or a, a hook or something in my head and then went back and reverse engineered the chords and stuff to it. But uh, it, it's it's usually that. I'm, I'm never, I hardly ever just sit down, okay, I'm going to write a song now and, and you know, and, and do it that way. There was a time when, uh, you know, after uh, Tony and I had first met or whatever, we hung out a couple of times at his place or my place, and we just stayed up all night writing songs. You know, we would we would set a timer, kitchen timer, for okay, we have a half an hour, we're gonna write a song, and you know when we and it had the timer would go off. Okay, next song, set the timer again and just start off some in a different key with a different thing, you know, or grab a bass and some or you know I would I would just start playing a drum beat and he would just start playing something on guitar. Half hour later, set reset the timer, do it again, and we just record all these ideas into a just a tape recorder, you know, basic tape recorder, and see how many songs we could write a night, you know. And you'd you'd end up the night if you were lucky, you would have like two solid ideas that you could do, you know, that you could make a song out of, and then maybe another two or three songs that you could cannibalize the other fifteen songs into, you know, kind of kind of a thing. But man, I I haven't done that. I haven't sat down and just tried to write a song in a long time. They just sort of they fall into my lap, and I uh, if I'm lucky, I get I finish them, you know, or I just put them by the wayside and, and hope I'll finish them later, you know. Very similar process on my end, actually. Like I gotta really sort through a bunch of riffs because I was just going through like you know old rehearsal tapes, right? And I realized uh-huh. I forgot I played this. This sounds pretty dope. Yeah. Or like, why didn't I like this? What is this pretty? This is, this is great. What was I doing? You know? Yeah. Or yeah, like, like also, so who's the lyricist? Because I was, I was assuming Lisa was, but also you write lyrics too, right? Yeah. No, I, I, I tend to write most everything. I mean, it's I, I write probably seventy-five percent of it. Um, there's a couple of tunes where I just said, okay, you know. Here, Lisa. Here's the finished song, and here's how the melody goes. You know, you you should write the words. This this song would work from your point of view, and and she's done that a couple of times. There's been a few times when it's, you know, when we've just been when we had a bunch of finished songs, but they didn't have any words. Where it's like, okay, you know, uh, this is what I want to sing about in this song, kind of like this, and she'll suggest words, and I'll finish doing stuff and. You know where it's been. Uh, since like Black Lightning, there were probably it's probably about thirty percent. I think that that Lisa has written. You know, yeah, on her own. And then there's another ten or fifteen percent where we shared, and then the rest of it is is me. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I'm like I'm slowly getting back to lyric writing, but I'm like, all right, I just remember the artist by name of Blowfly. Yeah. All right, I'm a, I knew I know like his marriage his marriage lady is Tom Bowker. Dude's cool oh. as shit, you know. So I'm trying to get back into writing lyrics and everything, right? So I'm trying to learn how to write the melodies, right? So I have this really bad and weird habit of like just writing, going full blow flying certain songs. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to figure out how to like write the phrasing if that makes sense or not. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so it's, it's almost like an exercise. So I have like this weird album full of like just stuff I that would basically make Dave Allen Clope. Dave on Co blush pretty much. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is 
you know, <laughs> I'm not putting that out. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah, a good exercise. No, it's, it is. It, it's, you know, if the, the trick is, is just getting them down on paper and then you can do whatever, you know, you can look at them and they, and they move around on you and they do stuff. And, um, it's, it's just keeping that open mind, uh, for it to be able to change because there's there's been a lot of times when I'll write a, a lyric uh, man that that looks really you know that that's really good but it doesn't really fit anywhere you know it doesn't rhyme here and the meter's weird here and it it doesn't really fit so you kind of have to go well I love this lyric but it either can't work in this song I have to write another song for it or I have to change it you know phrase it differently so it works in this song and um, you know, sometimes that's like a heartbreaking procedure for me. You know, it's just like, man, I really like that lyric, and I, I you know, <laughs> now I got to write a whole other song just so I can accommodate this lyric. But a couple of times I've been able to do it. You know, it's it's I haven't let go of that that idea. You know, you know, I've always felt there's certain scripts that like I kind of feel <clears throat> like it's like this line of catchphrases, right? Where I kind of feel like. I get a weird feeling somebody wrote a whole movie based around just so they can say this line in a movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> totally. You know, it's like snakes on a plane, snakes <laughs> on a plane. The, the entire idea for that movie was to hear Samuel L. Jackson say, I'm sick of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. <laughs> that whole movie is about that line right there. So, you know, some theory has not been debunked, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So like, um, all right, so I just I'm just fascinated by the gear you guys use because you know aside from one of the albums, you pretty much kept it pretty self-contained, right? Yeah, you mean in terms of uh, of, of, of what recording? Of recording, like you know, because because I'm like what I'm gathering is like okay, so do, do you record basically still at the at the rehearsal space or did you like is that your place now or where's um we we've done. Everything up until um, Black Lightning was done like com completely in our studio. But Black Lightning, we we got time. Uh, the drummer Steph, uh, his his uh, he had a good friend who was a recording engineer who knew Scott Valentine, who had uh, uh, Barefoot Studios in 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 L.A. That was you know it was the old room that from songs of the key of life and you know it's that building and a lot of that same gear um and he knew that guy and he was recording slash's record at the time the, the snake pit record i think and he he was recording in there at the time but he he didn't record on sundays so uh, uh steph's buddy said hey you know um you, why don't you guys come in and record on Sundays? You know, we we basically got to use the studio for free. We paid we paid the engineer, but we got to use the studio for free, and everything that was in it. I mean, you know, Steph was playing this magic kit that was in there, and I got to use Slash's stack a bunch of the time, a couple of his guitars, um, and you know, so we got to we got to do the whole. We didn't record every single thing in there. I did some solos, and, and Lisa did some tracking and some backing vocals and stuff um, at our studio and then and then gave it to him to, to mix. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was the first time that we 
actually went in to do a, a record someplace that that wasn't ours. And then we haven't the the, the last couple have been out to the uh, the the punk funk rock soul record that was that was recorded in Barcelona. All of the rhythm stuff was recorded in Barcelona. We did all of the solos and and Lisa singing because her voice had gone out when we were in in there recording. So she did all her singing back home, and I did a bunch of the solos and overdubs and all of that stuff at our studio at our place. See, this is the kind of this is the kind of shit I geek out over because. Yeah, I've always found like stuff like this really inspiring, you know. Like, well, I hear about like you know, Foo Fighters almost had to record, you know. I don't, mm -hmm. I forget which one it was. They recorded down in Virginia at a house there that Dave had, and they were, and like um, in Studio Six Hundred Six is actually this Dave Grohl's um garage and whatnot, right? It's like yeah. inspiration yeah. to that, right? And I'll yeah. never forget the time when it was this, it was this one mic out of phase, right? I do weird shit like this, um. <laughs> What happened was this mic out of phase. I, don't, I did like a fucking barrel to the damn drum kit. I mean, it's a little overdramatic, but you know, uh, you have to show folks what's up sometimes. It's like I had like a like a piece of like um like what's it called again? Measuring tape, right? Yeah, some measuring uh -huh. tape. So I grabbed that. I was like, wait a second, is that a face? So it's like giant will tell you. Hold on a second. So I figured, oh, it's thirty four. Okay, so this one's thirty two inches. The other one's like thirty four inches. Gotcha. So I put it back in there. You know, it's like now try it again, and it worked. Right. <laughs> you know. It's yeah. kind of staring at me look like, like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's nice to have guys, you know, I've, I've really gotten, I like recording myself, but I I know that, like, the sound I want to get, I need guys who are able to get that sound. Like, you know, we got to, the punk, funk, rock, soul stuff was, you know, Jim Diamond was the engineer. He he was the guy who kind of more or less produced it, you know, Um because those guys know what they're doing. They, I mean, they, they, you know, they spend their lives in a studio. They know if you move a mic a quarter inch this way, it's going to make a difference. And you know, they they know that stuff. They know where to put the drum set in the room so it it gets the most out of it. You know, and um, I, I've my my natural, you know, I, I really like putting microphones and doing stuff that that stuff that started to start to wane once I saw guys who knew what they were doing do it and then it was like oh all i have to do is just play now <laughs> you know all i have to do is like is is like have fun playing and not really worried that this performance i'm doing right now is going to be fucked up because i put the mic in the wrong place you know it's it's i've i've gotten into i geek out over it like like you said you know because they say hey i've got this thing over here Let, let's try using that you know and like jim diamond brought this this old uh color sound uh uh, overdrive, you know, the old, uh, uh, what do they call it? Tube, uh, uh, oh God, color sound, you know, one of the, the Mark one yeah. things. Yeah. And he had one and, and he's like, and I'm looking at it going, cool. I, you know, let me turn it up. He's no, no, no. I've never turned that knob. I, I don't turn that knob. I leave it right there. I was like, Oh, okay. And then, you know, over in the corner is this old high watt clone British knockoff high watt amp let's put that there and it's it's all crackly and everything but then you find the, the one spot where it isn't and it's got awful loud and then you put it through that the the that fuzz pedal and it's like oh man this this is unreal this sounds great and i never would have found that in my studio you know i never would have i would never would have been able to do any of that true because i'm like i put it this way i admit it when it came to 
like um we're getting rec- recording stuff like i'll put it this way i'd rather go to the studio to like record drums get the best put place to record record drums right I right right you know vocals too you know but it's like okay like for example an ep i did right i had to retouch all the guitars over here at my place uh-huh you know so it was one of those kind of deals where it's like eh I felt like it was the best of both worlds because the takes that I took earlier, I admit it, I was nervous because, you know, I don't know, because here's the thing about Bias, right? Bias basically is a studio where, like, a lot of people came through, you know? In fact, right. I usually feel like, you know, like, you know, it's like, I'll put it this way, it's, it's like our sound city. It's like Philadelphia uh-huh. Sigma, like that, right? In right. fact, you know, even Ariana Grande showed up. She actually got us kicked out, of you know, during a session. <laughs> True story, but, you know, it was made good on later on, so I'm not. Uh-huh. I just felt, hey, I got, I got a, I got like a cool like a story, and also this right here too. So it worked out <laughs> for the best. But like um, yeah, it's like um, but yeah, it was just one of those fun things I get a kick out of like mixing both of those worlds, you know. Sure, sure. It's it's and that that's kind of the way it, it should work too, because it's when you're in the studio, you know, you realize time is money. You know, you're paying for this time, and you don't want to waste time. And exactly, you know, you know, and it, and it, and you start to it's you start to feel it, you know, after a while, and whether you realize it or not, and unless you get guys that just no, no, I this is what I do. I play in a studio, and it doesn't bother them, you know, to get that performance. You can you can really get that performance out of them, and you know, we've been lucky because we've had guys guys that could do it you know and on the black lightning Steph, the tronic i mean he just he just nailed every every drum thing on that record you know that's we didn't have to do anything to that outside of uh you know uh, uh i think one song hell on earth um which is is so edited it's unreal but um that's that's a stylistic thing that wasn't that wasn't anything you know that was wrong with it you know i feel you so i get kind of curious because all right when i tell people when i tell people about the bell rays i always describe them as imagine iggy and the stooges but iggy was too dope sick to play so aretha franklin filled in <laughs> and she added it like she they went tenfold right so how mm-hmm. would you describe the bell rays to somebody who isn't familiar uh, I'd probably the same way I'd try and describe anybody, you know, I just say it's, it's, I, I tell people we're original rock and soul music, you know, we're just a we're punk rock and soul band. And, you know, we have a, we have a, a, a soul singer and it's a, it's punk rock. You know, I, 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 I try not to, to, um, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's just me. I, I get the whole comparison thing, but when, whenever anybody compares uh, one band to another, I'm always like, well, okay, you know, Tina Turner was that like, is that Terradome Tina Turner, or is that you know, Nutbush City Limits Tina Turner, or is this you know, uh, 1950s Tina Turner? You know, is like I don't know which one that is. You know, and and so I'm and people tend to draw weird references when when I do it and and that's our the the thing that came out with us is that is this the Stooges or the you know it, it's the Stooges meet Tina Turner or the Stooges meet the, and I guess that's a you know it's a it's a it's a baseline to give somebody a, a broad 
yeah. thing to it. But, you know, there's there are those people who can't make a leap that Aretha Franklin could sing in front of a punk band. Or, you know, it, it's it, they can't make that leap. They just think it's this weird mutated chupacabra thing that, you know, got it has to sound like shit, you know, because how could that ever work? <laughs> the crazy part you know? about it is I always thought it makes more sense because even that kind of strong, raw, you know, bluesy R&B vocal over like great oh, guitars, sure. it makes total sense because even the timbre, so to speak, it, is, it fits perfectly, you know, like... Well, if you if you listen to you know the the where I always go to with that is, if you listen to like old live recordings of like the Temptations or, or Tegan Turner or anything like that, that stuff is it's the most punked out stuff you've ever heard. When the, when those bands played live like the Temptations, if you hear them play My Girl live, it's this loud. It's like you know half again. It's faster than it should be. It's there's like all this energy in it, you know, and that's when when you uh, when you talk to guys like Wayne Kramer and stuff, you know, like the people who thought, you know, who quote unquote invented this punk rock thing, um, you know, they'll tell you like, no, man, all we wanted to be was the Temptations. All we wanted to be was Sam and Dave. You know, that's what we were trying to do. We were just trying to do like when I saw Sam and Dave back in 1965 at you know at the whatever you know whatever Metro Club. Man, it was just, you know, it was this big, loud, fast thing, and that's what we were trying to do, and we, you know, that's what I try to explain to people when they, when I try to describe them, if they have a half an hour to listen to me, <laughs> you know, you try know, to do it. This reminds me something of, you know, my buddy uh, Danny Kircher I mentioned earlier, right? Mm -hmm. And they had a really interesting point. They always felt like the best punk rock records and the best R&B records if you play them strong enough, you couldn't tell the difference. You couldn't tell which one which one ends. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. it makes sense because you know one album I always felt never got much credit was Bunker Hill um, being backed up by Link Ray. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, like if you think yeah. about it, like if it was like a few decades later, you know, you could easily see them on the same bill with MC Five and the Stooges. <laughs> oh sure, close enough sure. to it. Yeah. You know? And that, that was the whole ethic back then, you know, it was, it was putting bands like that together, you know, you, you'd see, uh, you know, Sonny Rollins open up for the Jefferson airplane, you know, you, you'd see stuff like that and you had this cool cross section of stuff that, you know, that people could equate to things and only later it got sectioned off and, and people were told that you can't associate, you know, this music with that music because it's a different market, you know. Exactly, because all I know is this. It's like, you know, I just think it's funny, like, how every time I go to Blues Night, I see a lot of guys that don't look like Muddy Waters getting their blues, uh, getting their, like, yeah. getting, their, like yeah. getting, their, getting their Bo Diddley fantasy on. So it's always been there, you know. It's always right. been this cross-section, you know. Hell, um, right. you know, you know, one of my drummers, um, woman, a woman named Siobhan, it's like she had to hide the kind of music she liked. Cause she loved Third Eye Blind. She liked Green Day. She liked all that kind of stuff, right? Right. But it wasn't cool to like it at, at that time, you know? Now you have mm -hmm. guys like Trippie Red, who's like a rapper, but worked with Travis Barker and stuff. So, you know, time's right. changed. Right. You know? And, you know, I was like, okay, because I always felt like the thing about it, it comes to the Bell Race. You guys cannot be covered. Like you're uncoverable. Like there's nobody can pick up the nuance. Like the only person I can't think of anybody can actually match you the power of Lisa's voice. Like 
All right. All right, because I'm the only one I can think of, believe it or not. She's not even, she's not even rock. We like Fantasia Barino. Closest thing. Closest mm. person I could think. You know, it was American Idol, actually, you know. Closest one. You know, that's like a different galaxy and everything, right? Yeah. And like, um, well, yeah. I guess right. like, um, I don't know. Are you familiar with a band called Alabama Shakes? Yeah. Yeah. You ever kind of feel like, huh, interesting. Yeah, we got we've we've been compared to them a couple of times um, in articles and interviews and and stuff like that. And there, you know, it's it is that thing. It's just about having, uh, you know, it wasn't a plan to do that. It was, you know, it was just well, Lisa can sing and you know we can play music and you know let's let's do it. You know, let's do this kind of thing. And like again, back in the day, you know, you're the 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 hard rock stuff, it it all had singers, you know. It it all had it all had great singers, you know. Yeah. Lou Graham and Ronnie James Dio and yes, you know, and and Ian, uh, what's his name from uh, Deep Purple, and you know, I, when I was growing up, singers, it was all about the singers. I yeah. I really didn't care about the guitar players or the, the baseball outside of Paul McCartney or whatever. It it I I wanted to sing like Paul McCartney more than I wanted to play bass like Paul McCartney. You know, it was it was all about the singers to me. I I listened to them in everything that I was doing, and it, you know, it it almost seemed to be a curse to put somebody who could sing like Lisa can sing in a in a punk band somehow like we were denied gigs because you know she wasn't just some. You know, she didn't scream like the Bad Brains guy or, you know, it was it wasn't that, you know, it was like a, a soul vocal. And it's like somehow that was a bad thing, you know, similar story with my band, actually. Like it was this weird thing. We don't know where to put you. I was like, have it on stage. Yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. crazy, crazy idea. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, let people make their own minds up. You know, don't everybody's so intent on trying to tell people what to like and you know what not to like and how to listen and do all this stuff. It's like, man, just put it on and see what happens. Exactly. You know, you know, you know that that's always been my, always been my thing. I've, I've heard bands that have just been, you know, like, man, these guys got great songs, but they just don't know how to perform them. You know, they just, they're, they're leaving a lot of energy on stage or they're all about performance, but I wish they could write a song or, you know, man, if they just had, if that, if that, bass player would just put shoes on when he's on stage it's you know <laughs> you know it's like these all these little things that you know you just start looking at that make the band up you know that that you, you listen to all of it you know just don't try to just pigeonhole everything yeah you know it's like it's just those nitpicks that aren't so unnecessary you know I mean, when I think about it, okay, the damn really, if you think about it, to me, it seemed like a punk rock lounge band. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I was never into them, you know, really much listening to them. I, I mean, I thought they were a good band, but like my, the music I would listen to, I would always put, you know, the who on or something before I would put them on. And, but then we did that tour with them, that, that first tour we did with them. And. I mean, now I I think they're the greatest band going, man. Seeing them live, seeing them do what they do live, they're I mean, they're really they're one of the best bands I've ever seen live, you know. And and 
but when you listen to the records, you get that feeling that you know what I mean. It's there's this there's this staid sort of thing that that people think records kind of have to be. And, you know, going back to our recordings or whatever, it's like yeah, sonically maybe our records don't sound very good, but man, I'll stack that performance up against anything you can play. You know, exactly. Put, put something on that's got more energy on it than. Than you know, testify or you know, dark horse pigeon or something. You know, you know what? Because when I first heard it, I was thinking this reminds me of like, a lot of stacks recordings. Like, if you remember, like the energy I hear from like you know, like when I saw like when I saw videos of Otis running live, you know, uh-huh. and that's what it reminded me of. I'm like, because I really miss that. Because I put it this way: I love rock, but I'm not crazy about what it's become. Because nowadays, sure. it's just like it seems like a bunch of guys. I put it this way. Rock needs more coke, all right, and whiskey. There, yeah, it's it's like these guys are fueled on Red Bull. Yeah, you know, well, it's it's there's there's a whole. I mean, I I don't want to say the technology is killing it, but it it kind it, of is. It is because it's when you know when you had these bands doing what they were doing, you know, the first bunch of concerts I went to, I you know literally. It was lined Marshall stacks along the back of the wall. You know, I don't know how many of them were on, but it was a line of Marshall stacks, and it was just insanely loud. You know, and and so you you kind of had to you have to play a certain way to get it to to be that way. Today, it's you know you get on stage and and now you know you bring your little combo. 25 watt amp or 30 watt amp or whatever and you might get into the PA and you get the sound back from the monitors and you know everybody's worried about their sound the the sound on stage and everything and it's like man just just light it up just play guys and 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 find the energy you know like you, you guys got a battle to make this to make this stuff sound good a band has to battle each other and and <clears throat> if you're not doing that it you know it just sounds relaxed and Unurgent, you it know. It really is, you know. Like it's, it sounds too quantized, you know. Yeah, and it's it's just a it's it's more a state of mind than anything else, you know. It's it's letting letting that get to it, you know. Letting letting that creep into your to your mindset where everything has to sound good, you know. Everything has to sound perfect, you know. Exactly, you know. Speaking of the dams, and you mentioned you on tour with them. Are any tour stories and any tour stories with the dam? Are did we? Uh, any, stories? Any recollection? Any recollections of being? Uh, man, I I think the you know the the King one is the the second tour we did with them. We we drove. We did a couple of shows on the way to meeting them in I think it was Toronto, hmm. and uh, or Detroit. I can't. It might have been Detroit. Um, and the first show, we we met them there. We played. And we're all hanging out by the, the by the uh, merch booth and everything, and then we hear this weird sound, and the the damned had they played their whole set, they'd done one encore, they were doing their second one, and Captain Sensible fell off the front of the stage, and at the stage it was like six six seven feet off the ground, and they had Shit. one of those one of those uh, crowd control railing things out in front of it, so he fell in between the stage and that. With his guitar, you know, and like the band just stopped playing. We're like, "What the hell's going on?" And we are all just running around and go up to the to the band room, and and they carry Captain Sensible in, and he's you know he's fucked up, and 
he broke a couple of ribs. And, oh shit! And yeah, he he really. I think he I, he might have even punctured his lung. Um. Yeah. It was it was bad. So we had to. It's like oh man, this this tour is done. And they said no no wait you know we'll see we'll see how he is and take him to the hospital and see. And we had to cancel the the next show. We had to cancel the next show. And then the third one, it was like okay. Um, you know, because it was going to be in New York or somewhere, and I was like, okay, if we if we cancel this one, we we got to drive home because we can't afford to be out here, you know, any longer without making money. And uh, somebody, uh, somebody, uh, uh, the the bass player in the band found a friend he knew in New York. He got us a show, this just to come down and play in this bar, and uh, they gave us money, you know, and and stuff. And when we when we left, we got a phone call the next morning saying that Captain Sensible was going to, now he was going to try and do the rest of the shows. He was going to try and do it. So what they did is they, he couldn't stand up. <clears throat> so somebody in his entourage, some fan, I guess, got a toilet, like an actual toilet, painted it up, mounted it on a, on a little stage, and made it so that the toilet bowl, he could put ice and beers in the toilet bowl behind him and he sat and he did the rest of the shows from this from this throne you know this this toilet throne thing and then they ended up uh they ended up rescheduling the the three shows that he missed so we were able to do that and you know but it was yeah it was it was crazy but man what a trooper because i know you break ribs man it's hard to do anything breathing is a chore so he's up there singing playing guitar you know, doing it all, and you know, to sing, you gotta, you have to breathe, and I, it had to be excruciating for him the the whole time. But through it, through it all, he he'd come into our dressing room and and hang out. You know, he said he liked being with us because we we were like a real band. <laughs> so he he liked hanging out in our thing and talking to us and stuff. And you know, all of those guys were just they were so amazing. It was it was really funny. But that was probably one of the more horrifying tour stories i can relate about any tour we've ever done i never heard about this you know yeah yeah it's it's crazy and then the last show the last show they auctioned off that throne that the little stage thing that they built they auctioned it off somebody bought it for like a thousand bucks or something like that it was crazy it's fucking awesome (laughs) shoot because you know Cause that's what I've heard about you, you know, about the Bell Rays. Y'all are really relatable. Like, all right, you did a show in Portland. I can't remember the year, but my buddy, um, this uh, young black um, punk rock chick named Courtney, right? And uh-huh. she was hanging out with, you know, Lisa. And, you know, she really enjoyed your energy, really endearing energy between you two, you know? And you uh-huh. were really, really relatable, really cool people, you know? You know, what else is it about <laughs> if you can't be... You know, we're all just people. That's the whole thing about it. It's, it's, I, I, I don't know if I would do it if I, if I was afraid of people or didn't want to talk to people. I'm not the most outgoing guy. Me neither. You know, I mean, but we like to have fun. You know, we like to enjoy shit, man. We just drove eight hours to your town to play the show. Let's have some fun. You know, let's, let's, that's you know it, it we are we like to have fun we're we're 
we like to be funny, you know, that that's my main thing is I, you know, I, I try to be as up and funny as I possibly can be all the time. We enjoy all kinds of stuff, you know, and that's, that's what it's always been about. Cause we, you know, I've heard that a, a lot. We, we've done a bunch of radio shows. We did the John Peel show in, in, uh, uh, in London one time. And wait, 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 y'all have a Peel session? What's that? Y'all did a Peel session? Yeah. Yeah, we did. We did. Sweet. He, yeah, he, he wasn't there, but the guy, the, the DJ we were talking to was, uh, he was just like, you know, we, we played and he came on and he started talking to us and, and like about five minutes into it, he goes, no, wait a minute. You guys, he said, listening to your music and hearing all these, these news things about you guys, you know, I just thought you guys were just going to be this angry mob of, you know, you just hate Philip. And it's like, no, man. we're just, we're not like that at all. People like to, you know, they you take five seconds to talk to us. You understand that, man, we're just the silliest bunch of freaks you, you ever want to know. And I mean, I could, there's tons and tons and tons of stuff that we've done that, you know, if anybody knew about it, they'd see it, you know, all our old flyers, all our old Tony's to do these comics, these, these little 25 cent comics that had little jokes and stuff on them that were like the, the old bazooka Joe yeah. things, you know, but they were, they were usually blue and, and, you know, weird and stuff, but they're, they're hilarious, you know, we, it's, we like to have fun, you know, that's, that's but, what yeah. I dig about y'all. Cause I'm like, <laughs> Let me tell you right now, you're the only few Q&A group chats where I actually among my good behavior. <laughs> because, I don't know, over the last few years, it's like I've become like, not a troll per se, but I just kind of have fun being a troublemaker. I just post up crazy right. shit actually, right? <laughs> but with y'all, I'm actually, I like this, you know, this, it's beyond respect. It's like admiration for y'all. So I'm like, I'm my best behavior. Like even the Ted Newton oh, joke actually, you know, because <laughs> That was not the first time. Like, I used to call up, like, guitar... Because here's the first thing. You don't give a 16-year-old a cell phone. Right. <laughs> and I can do, like, this... At the time, because I'm, I'm kind of nervous to do it now, I used to do his impression of Ted Nugent, actually, right? Uh-huh. And, um... I would just... Do you do the whistling... The whistling teeth thing? Yeah. I, I've noticed now when he talks, he whistles when he... When the whistling the teeth thing, hard... It's more or less like the nasally thing where you talk from the roof of your mouth. It's really spitty yeah. thing. <laughs> or it kind of sounds a bit like large Ulrich a little bit, except, you know, yeah. more Midwestern, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I would just say this inappropriate stuff. So, like, okay, so I'm getting my, I'm looking for a Gibson and a seven year old Hawaiian girl. Can I find these two things at your, at your shop? <laughs> you just say horrible shit like this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Just, but, like, you know, it's like, um, shoot, like, that's what I really enjoy about, you know, about, you know, about the live streams and whatnot. And speaking of which, like, okay, so, you know, if and when the world opens back up and people are doing shows again, all right, do you think there'd be like this whole shift when it comes to live shows? Shift towards like, oh, you mean going back into live shows, you think, or do you yeah, think it's going to sh- shift like, away from it? Because to me, I kind of see like both happening. Like, I kind of see like bands basically utilizing the fuck out of social media. And also doing like live appearances and stuff like that, right? But also I kind of see him, you know, doing like, okay, like for example, like how you and Lisa do the Nooners or, you know, do mm-hmm. like the full band shows. And I kind of see like bands doing both, like, you know, for like, you know what? It's like, you know, we can kind of doing both. Like, do you think that you think we'd be doing that in the future or just kind of say, ah, we'll just 
Fuck this shit. We're going back to doing live touring. Nah, I, I think it's I think the 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 online stuff is is the is here to stay. Um, just because it's there's you know there's bands that I know like when we started doing when we started doing it I started looking around to see other bands how they do it you know and like what they're doing and stuff and there there's a couple of bands the Dolly Rots and um and, and these bands that like they were doing this before you know they were doing this as soon as they possibly could you know they've been doing this for years where they where they do these these uh patreon things and these live video things and these chats and stuff and you know they were sort of like the model that lisa and i kind of well we should we should do that it should be kind of like that but then when the pandemic came in and it was like well no we can't do live shows anymore we have to we kind of have to switch to you know it kind of has to be live shows to replace that, you know, to take up that space. And I just kind of think that, that some of the other bands that I found that you can tell that they're never going to get to tour, you know, they're, nobody's ever going to ask them to go on tour with them because they're, you know, they just don't have it, you know, but they're nice people and they're, they're trying real hard and they're, and they're doing the stuff, but you know, you've seen bands that you've, you got, uh, you know, well, you know, you guys keep doing what you're doing, but you know, uh, I, you you should all find day work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you like... know, and I'm glad you guys all have day jobs because you know, keep trying. Don't don't ever stop doing it. But yeah. you know, you you just get you just get the idea. You know, they're not going to, especially now because touring has gotten so. I mean, it's gotten so much harder for bands to tour now. You know, with the price of airfares and stuff, you can, you know, it used to be you could do a two hundred and fifty dollar L A to London, you know, red eye flight and go tour Europe and sleep on floors and stuff. You can't do that now. There's no, there's no possible way anybody no. could sell <laughs> enough no. plasma. You know, you can't sell enough plasma to to make a tour now. You know, because everything just costs so much. So, touring is a completely different animal now so bands like the ones that aren't ever going to get to it now they at least have a forum where they can they can do weekly shows they can you know or if they want to do a virtual tour they can do that you know yeah. um mm-hmm. so i i think it's here to stay i think you know you're going to see a lot of bands doing it but the live thing is not going to go away hopefully what will happen is it will it will turn into a more public friendly thing you know it'll it'll live music has been getting more and more uh cast to the wayside before the pandemic you know noise ordinances yeah gentrification and and that kind of stuff and um i'm hoping now that it this will it will open it up to where people aren't won't be so afraid of live music now you know it's it's it it's it's just as important as it ever was, you know. It's not like some dying animal. There's always going to be live music as long as there's musicians to play it, and there's always going to be one. Of, there's always going to be people who want to go and see it, you know. But it it can't be this. Going out and seeing a live band is a special thing already. It can't be presented every night as this awesome, amazing, one time only thing that's going to happen it you know it has to be this thing well you know come on down and see what happens you know it has to be more of that 
sort of a scene oh, like yeah. it used to be, you know, where yeah. you would walk into a club because you wanted to go hang out at the bar and see what was playing. You had no idea what was coming through, you know. That It has to be more of that. It has to be the venue has to be the attraction and the bands have to be the thing. It can't be the Saturday Night Live thing where it's not funny anymore, but you tune in because you want to see the musical act, you know. It, it can't be that. The fucking accuracy. Actually, that sounds like a DC music scene. I'll put it this way. I mean, I'll put it this way. It's like, at this point right now, I don't give a shit because having a venue's got closed down anyway. Because I'll put it this way. Having them promoters or owners are fucking creepers anyway. Like, I'll put, sure. they were like Harvey Weinstein Jr., some of those guys. So, fuck them. You know, and I'm like, what the fuck are you going to do? Pay me? <laughs> right. You know, so like. But that really sounds like it though, because it feels like they had like the bands doing the legwork. It's like, no, we're not gonna mop up floors. That's your fucking job, dude. You know I mean? Yeah, I'll never forget this yeah. one show my band played in 2013, back in January in 2013, right? And literally the bar guy, I guess he got pissed off and he literally pulled the plug on us because we're too loud. I'm like, you booked a rock show, right? They'd be like me, like you know, they'd be like me. Like going back to 2000, with like you know, some shifty video stores. Like, hey, there's too much, there was, there was too much filth in this porno movie. I've, I rented out. That's basically it's, it doesn't make any sense. There were, there were too many right. cum shots here. God damn it! Hold on, right. this this is a scene here. I was like, what the fuck? What'd you expect? Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Exactly. All right. So you know, as things progress and everything, how do you really? One thing I always loved about the Bell Rays is that you never get stuck in a time warp. That you still experiment with sounds. But you still sound like yourselves. Like, so, what do you what do you do to stay fresh sound wise? Uh, you know, just listen to what the song is is telling you you need. Basically, you know, it's it's. Um, I can't I can't ever find the you know the 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 ultimate guitar sound you know because. I'll play that and it'll sound great for a couple of songs, and then it's like, oh no, this song, this song needs, this song needs more. It needs to be muddier. I need less tone. I need this, you know. Or, um, it's, it's, it's just to me, it's always listening to what the song needs. Going back to, you know, when when we were doing uh, uh, the uh, uh, the Have a Little Faith album, it was. You know, Tony was writing these songs that that uh, a Blue Cirque and songs like that that were like, man, you know, it would be really cool if we could do this kind of stuff and change the guitar sound and, and maybe add a, in another guitar to do this other thing. And without, you know, without overproducing it to death, it was just like, no, it, it you know, you, you could do these things. And it's listening to the, to the song. Sometimes it doesn't need anything. Sometimes it's just... No man, guitar, bass, drums, singing. Let's let's go. And but to me, it's always been listening to what that song needed. You know, don't don't just lump it in with all the other ones. You know, don't just say, well, I have to play that because my fuzz pedal's on. You know, you, you don't. You can turn the fuzz pedal off. You can, you know, <laughs> switch channels on the amp. You can, you know, put an EQ on it or something. You know, to to make it sound more like what you think it should sound like you know i feel you entirely like the album i'm working on right now it's still definitely kind of a garage punk and garage rock kind of feel but i'm kind of dabbling around different sounds too like you know like one of my favorite bands is a 24 24 7 spies right 
So mm-hmm. I'm kind of dabbling, you know, in certain like kind of softer stuff too, you know. It's like, you know, some kind of like just kind of like grow the palate, so to speak, you know. Sure, you sure. Know? I, I mean, I I I listen to those old to the old Beatle records when you know George Martin is basically the fifth Beatle, and he's or the engineers are in there rewiring the board to do something. <coughs> excuse me, to okay. get this to get a sound. You know, to get to get something that the song needs, you know, like Nowhere Man, that real glassy guitar tone or, um, you know, stuff like that. Or, or the the solos that they're just playing straight into the board. You know, they're not even using an amp and they're using a barit- baritone guitar into the board. You know, I, I listen to those kinds of things and I and I when I try to pick it apart, when I when I'm really trying to listen to it, it's like, well, how did they get that sound? How did they do that? You know, now they have, you know, the, the books on all those recordings and you can just you can just read about it. But back then, the fun was trying to find how they did that, you know, like just plugging into everything you can find just to see. Does it sound like that? Does it sound like that? Does it sound like that? You know, and and really, really trying to apply that to each individual song, you know. Oh yeah, you know. Because I, mean, I think it, I think it makes a difference when you're doing an album. It makes a difference because, uh, you know, if if you just have the same sound over a course of a record, I mean, it wears the listener's ears out, whether they know it or not. You, you start to lose interest in it because you know what's coming. You know, you you're anticipating a certain drum hit and a certain guitar sound and a, and something. When when sonically it changes up. Uh, you know, one of the one of the albums that um, really that that Audio Slave record, I was I was so excited about getting that Audio Slave record that you know because I'd heard the song on the radio, I was like, man, this is this is great, this is really cool, and I put it on, and that first song is great, and then the second song, well, it kind of sounds like the first song, and, and then the third song, well, that just sounds like the other two songs, and they're all the same key, the same tempo, the same guitar sound, the same. It's like, man, I, I can't listen to this anymore. It's this, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm going to have to turn it off now and then listen to the second half of the record later. <laughs> you know, sense if, of adventure's if, lacking. Yeah, you know, and it, it's just like, I, I, and it's just me. I know there's, I know there's people that doesn't affect and, and it, you know, it's not right or wrong or here or there. It's just when I'm listening to it, I, I, all of my favorite records have, uh, there's a, a sweep, you know, that they go through or there's jarring changes and stuff that I need to, I need to keep my attention, you know? Oh, completely. You know, shit. That's why I'm a total Zappophile actually, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. and I always have a philosophy of like, you know, I really believe cause it's happening now because people's attention spans are getting shorter, you know, yeah. and seeing like, it just makes sense where people going back to like EPs and, you know, singles and everything. Right. You know, so I'm like, to me, I feel like, I think of every band, you know, unless like a concept album, should have like a good, strong eight or nine songs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Shoot, you know. That's and it's, and it's, you know, you, you talk about the attention span thing. I, I, I think that, and then I also think like everything, it, it, it falls in with all of this thing about how I, I have a hard time watching sports now on TV. I, I mean, I'm a huge baseball and football fan. You know, I'll even watch basketball or soccer even. But 
I can't watch them on TV now because there is so much stuff going on. There's so much, you know, ads are popping up and, and scores are going and little incidental things about this guy who just, you know, did this thing, you know, he's got this batting average and he's played, you know, in the minors, but, and it, and it's just constantly going on and on and on and on. And I started to think, it's like, well, you know, my attention span isn't getting shorter. They're ramming the shit down my throat. Yeah. You know, like trying to, it's like they believe I'm not going to watch unless this stuff pops up. And that is not the truth. I just want to watch the game, you know, and, and, and when you're, when you're listening to an album, I just want to hear the music, you know, that, that's all I want to hear. But these marketing guys and, and producers are, they're, they're adhering to that thing that, you know, oh, attention spans are getting shorter. So we have to make things simpler and, and everything. And, and you don't, you know, just make them good. You don't have to, because at, at they're thinking, well, they're going to get bored if they keep listening to this. Well, I'm going to get bored if I just keep hearing the same two changes go back and forth. You know, I, I, I don't know, like somewhere, somebody somewhere has to like start producing music that goes places and does things. It doesn't just get loud, quiet, loud, quiet, loud, quiet. You know, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta go somewhere. You know, there's a journey there that music is supposed to take you on. I'm with you, you know, like I'm working with my, with my bud right now who has a, has a good ear for that, you know. Mm -hmm. Also, they're like, a, as I call an encyclopedia, pretty much like, you know, there was having to be a DJ and they're like this perfect mix of glam rock, hip hop, punk rock and Latin music. Uh -huh. So I'm working. That sounds cool. The coolest that shit. Sounds cool. Yeah. They're cool as fuck, actually. So I'm working with them on some stuff. You know, they're always sending me like, hey, yo, check us out, man. I'm mm. like, all right, cool. So, but I'm with you, though. It's like, that's another thing, too. Like, you know, I put it this way. Like, when it came to, like, here's, here's the kicker about it. I'm from the D.C. area, so I didn't get into the Baltimore. The reason why I got into the Baltimore Ravens is because, first of all, like, holy shit, a team from here actually wins a goddamn game once in a while. Right. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm like, oh my god, and that's another. I used to, I used to tease my dad about this. I would say, what is it with people and losing teams? You know, like you know, it's like so you have like guys like that are neo Nazis, uh, Confederate, like like you know, people are into the, like uh, neo Confederates, Washington Redskins fans. I don't understand why people support losing teams. <laughs> You're like, hey, 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 yeah, hey, hey. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been a Pittsburgh fan my entire life. And, you know, through the winning years, through the losing years, it's just the team I, you know, I just fell in with them. You hope they win, you know. I hope the Pirates are going to win this year, but, you know, in all honesty, I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it, but, you know. Oh, baseball, because I think of football. Yeah. Well, I football, you know, the, the Steelers too, so. Yeah, because I was thinking, thing. like, the Steelers, because all I know is this, because once I get into football, I was like, okay, yeah, go Ravens. Damn, they got the yeah. shit kicked out of them. Like it's almost like, <laughs> okay, so that's that's a safe bet, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a bet man though, because I'm like, well, damn, did not yeah. see that coming. Yeah. You know. All right, I guess I gotta wrap it up though. You know, soon. You know, great chatting with you though. You know. No problem. You know, shoot, because I'm like, I looked up interviews for you, but I'm like. Damn, there are really that many bombs though. So like, I'm trying to figure out stuff to ask them. So I'm like, it's like I don't want to ask. Them. So what's your favorite color? I'm trying not to do that. 
You know, so I'm trying to figure out stuff that, you know, trying to figure that out, you know. Well, Bob, great chatting with you. You know, it's an yeah, honor you to speak. Too, John. Thanks. You know what? Hearing that, it's an honor to hear that from you because I'm like a fan from way back, you know. And it's a surreal moment to even. One of the cool things they always say, never meet your heroes. I'm like, fuck that shit. We have like a Bob Venom <laughs> shit like that. Meet them. You know, <laughs> it is fucking awesome, you know. So I just want to know, is there anything else you want us to check out, you know, right now? Oh, man, nothing that I can see the, the you know, the uh, the Lovecraft country. That's that's great. Um, we don't have a new album coming out. We've uh, we've got a bunch of new music, um, but we're we're still in the the, the, the hacking stages of, uh, you know, there there's we have a Bob and Lisa thing that, that we do that I think there's going to be some songs on that are going to be coming out through that i have like guitar instrumental stuff that i do that's like surfy type stuff and you know and then there's then there's the bunch of bell race tunes that, that uh, we got to get worked on and all that stuff so you know hopefully that's all going to float out in the next over the next year you know we've been we've been trying to get it out but the way things are going it just now we've just been kind of muddling through from day to day so we just got to get up off our asses and start knocking this stuff out Understood totally. Actually, I want to ask about Bob and Lisa too, because I remember seeing something about like a solo project with just mm-hmm. you and Lisa. So I was like, I want to ask about that too. You know, it's like I... it. Uh, that was just a uh, well. I won't say it was just a um, when back in the early days when when we first started the Rose Thorns and the Bell Rays. Um, well, I, pre- the Bell Rays pretty much. There were times when we didn't have a drummer or a bass player. We couldn't do shows or we didn't have any shows booked for a while, so Lisa and I, we were in college and, you know, just trying to pay everything. We were living on like $3,500 a year, and we would go play coffee houses and stuff, just me and her, acoustic guitar or my electric guitar and an amp or whatever, and um, we just called it Bob and Lisa, and um, the Bob and Lisa thing just sort of came out of that where we've had that for years and years and years and years and then we we did a a half live half studio recording that we put out 20 years ago or 15 years ago something like that um that uh that you know was bob and lisa we haven't done anything with it since we've we've done some shows but we did a tour in europe one time um under bob and lisa and uh so we're I've written some songs that, you know, they could be Bell Ray songs, but they probably sound better as a as a Bob and Lisa thing. You know, it's, uh, there was that uh, Pop Staples record that came out a little while ago, a couple of years ago, where Mavis, where he had recorded all this music and then he died, and so Mavis got uh, got the sisters and or the sister one sister that was left, and they put a they put they got a drummer to come in and and play drums and they sang and they finished this record out and a lot of the songs that I had written were kind of along those sort of lines uh, stylistically so that was kind of the impetus for like okay well we could do this we could do this Bob and Lisa record and we could do it like that so you know that it might come out like that it might not who knows we're, we're still messing around with it okay looking forward to checking it out though yeah it'll be fun whatever it is yeah Oh, great chatting though. 
you know. You too, John, man. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. It was fun. No problem. Thank you. All right. All right. Peace. All right. See you later. See you later. Hey, that was Bob Venom. Great chatting with him. I look forward to having him on again. Seriously, check out the Bell Rays. Check out Bob and Lisa. Until next time, take it easy and please use common sense.